0: I never worry you know I'd be telling a lie. And if you say if I said I never fretted, you might well call me a hypocrite and you'd be right. I do worry and I do fret. But I suspect I'm not the only person in this room that worries. W.H. Auden said we live in an age of anxiety and every time we look at the TV and the 24-7 news coverage I'm sure we'd have to agree with him. So Peter's advice there in verse 7 Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you is highly relevant and practical but of course whether we accept his advice and whether we accept anybody's advice depends largely on what we know about the person who's giving the advice I think you'd probably agree that if anyone was really qualified to give us advice in this area of anxiety and worry, surely it had to be Peter this action man who was always getting into trouble and who must have worried he was a dab hand at getting into trouble And he had that wonderful ability that some of us also possess of being able to open his mouth wide and just put his foot in it. That was Peter. Speak first, think afterwards. And even worse, he had gone as far as to deny the law that he loved. No wonder he says, and I think he says it with real feeling and conviction, that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Be self-controlled and alert, says Peter. I know. I've been caught. And he had to live with a tortured conscience. And no doubt knew what depression was, that depression that comes on the other side of failure. But, on the other side of the coin, he had talked and walked with Jesus he'd seen the Lord gird on the apron of humility as he washed Peter's feet he'd been an eyewitness he says here of his sufferings and he'd even witnessed the glory of his resurrection interesting book Peter's book uh, glory and suffering suffering and glory the themes come again and again and he had come face to face with the glory of his risen Lord and he'd been there at that breakfast at the side of the lake And he experienced that loving, restoring grace of Jesus first hand. I like verse 10 where he says, The God of all grace, and he goes on to say, Will himself restore you. And I can imagine Peter, the one who wobbled when he hit the moment of crisis, speaking with great conviction in his heart, that he, this one who had denied his Lord, had met the Lord of glory. And rather than being shriveled up and destroyed, he'd experienced the love and the care of the master as he'd given him that commission three times over to feed his lambs to be a shepherd to the flock which is precisely what he is doing here so he's a good man to come to on this question of handling our fretting and our anxieties a practical man because his advice comes out of the fires of experience And of course he had a practical pastoral concern in that first century with the church suffering as it was. You see, Jesus never promised that anyone that would follow him was in for an easy time. There was no prosperity gospel. You won't find real basis for prosperity gospel in the gospels. Rather, you'll find, Jesus says, in the world you will have trouble, you will have tribulation, you will have persecution, but, but what? Be of good cheer. Why? I have overcome the world see we're not released from the world or the normality of the world we don't suddenly get a success ticket or are healed of all our diseases the moment we come to Christ we get him the one who has overcome the world and so Peter in this epistle of his this very practical pastoral epistle goes over the issue of sufferings that these early Christians were were facing in several passages in verse 7 of chapter 1 he speaks of these sufferings as trials that come to demonstrate or prove the genuineness of their faith and it's a cardinal fact that faith if it is genuine is going to be tested not that God needs to know if our faith is genuine of course he knows he knows what's in our hearts we need to know And if our faith is not genuine, we need to know that. So trials come and prove to us, demonstrate to us, the validity of our faith. In chapter 3 and verse 15, he tells them that when trials come and suffering come in the course of their life following Jesus Christ, they are not to be frightened. Rather, he says in verse 15, they are to set apart Christ as Lord in their hearts. In other words, when difficulties come that is the point at which we have to recognize the Lordship of Christ in our lives. His rule, His control, His direction. He knows what He is doing even if we don't always understand. And so whenever persecution comes particularly if it comes and it's not justified for any other reason than the fact that we are following Christ we are to respond in the manner and in the Spirit of Christ another translation of that verse says if we suffer for righteousness sake we are not to be afraid we are not to be troubled by those who inflict that suffering on us but in our hearts we are to regard Christ the Lord as holy and make our defence with gentleness, respect having a good conscience that those who slander us may be put to shame by such a response how hard it is isn't it when you are falsely accused not to lash back we worked for many years in Indonesia And as many of you know That there's a, an appalling persecution going on And many Christians have made that ultimate sacrifice Tragically in some situations Some have responded in kind And sought to get their own back On those who killed them That's not the response That we are to have as followers of Christ Uh, One day my eldest son John pushed his next brother Mark over onto the floor in a rather violent way and when Adele uh, made an inquiry she discovered that Mark had upset John's painting set. So Adele sat down and with good uh, genes in her from the Macbeth family she decided to give a wee sermon and she said, look, two rights don't make a wrong. Sorry, two wrongs don't make a right. (laughs) I'm glad you're awake. <laughs> two wrongs do make a right. And John, who always had a theological answer, even from the age of three, said, no, but it makes both sides even. That's not the paradigm. That's not the framework within which we react as believers. In fact, when you go back into Peter's epistle, chapter 2 and verse... Uh, 20 to 23, we haven't really time to read it all, but the principle there, he points out that when Jesus was reviled, he didn't respond in the same way. He did not revile in return. He did not retaliate. And he has left us an example that we should follow. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued trusting himself to him who judges justly. And that is the appropriate response. Chapter 4, he tells them that they're to think of their sufferings as a privilege. Verse 15, he says, have no fear. Verse 12, he says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial. And in verse 16, he says, if you suffer as a Christian, praise God. Don't be ashamed. Praise God that you bear the name. And one of the reasons that Peter gives as a witness of the sufferings of Christ is that he knows that a day is coming when we shall all be part, also be partakers in the glory that is to be revealed the suffering and the glory that theme that recurs again and again in Peter's epistle and then in chapter, nine he goes, ch- chapter 5 and verse 9 he goes on to tell them that they're not alone when they suffer these sufferings are the common experience of your brothers and sisters throughout the world sometimes it's hard to realise that in this past century there have been more martyrdoms than in all previous 19 centuries Now we know that Peter here is speaking to the suffering church in the first century But no century is without sufferings And no situation for those of us who follow Christ Is without difficulty and anxiety The form of that suffering may change The fact of that suffering does not change So Peter's advice, cast all your anxiety on him Because he cares for you is just as relevant for us today here in Edinburgh as it was for those first century Christians. But the answer is, how do you do it? The question is rather, how do you offload your worries and frettings? How can we enter practically into that experience of being able to offload our fretting and our anxiety? I want to say to you briefly two things. First of all, I believe it calls for a right attitude of heart a right attitude of heart a certain kind of mindset and then secondly I think it calls for something that is very uncommon that is sanctified common sense one of the rarest commodities around a right mindset and some common sense First of all then a right mindset Look at that verse again Verse 6 and verse 7 In the NIV there's a full stop In other translations there is no full stop After the end of verse 6 Just a comma Because the two are actually integral And linked together It says this Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand That he may lift you up in due time Casting all your anxiety on him Because he cares for you And the first thing to notice here in this passage is that this attitude of our humbling ourselves before God, our submitting to his authority, grows out of a life where we practice humbling ourselves and submitting ourselves to one another. Of course the context is that of elders and young men who are singled out, I presume also young women. They are to respect and they are to profit from the experience of those who have been set in authority over them as overseers of the flock. And these people, who are the overseers, they're not to lord it over the flock. They've been entrusted with the job of shepherding the flock. And I think it's a lovely touch when Peter says in verse 1 that he appeals to them not as the apostle, not as a mighty preacher, he appeals to them as a fellow elder. He puts himself on the same level as those to whom He is appealing. And he says in this context that all of us are to gird on the apron of humility that we might serve one another. And in order to back up that exhortation, he takes a quotation out of Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 34 when he says this For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In other words, the proud man will find that he has God as his adversary but there is grace for the humble. And if you and I are going to be able to begin to cast all our anxieties on Him, is it not grace that we need in order to be able to do so? It isn't a natural gift that many possess. God opposes the proud. It gives grace to the humble. And in the second place, We are to clothe ourselves with humility towards one another because ultimately we recognise that we are submitting ourselves and humbling ourselves before Almighty God. In fact, he describes it here as to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. Now you've heard that phrase before, haven't you? comes through the Old Testament it's an Old Testament concept the mighty hand of God the deliverance from Pharaoh and the bondage in Egypt was because of the intervention of the mighty hand of God they went in and occupied Jericho and the promised land by the mighty hand of God the victories that Israel scored and indeed also the judgments that she endured were under the mighty hand of God and I believe that Peter picked up that phrase because it stands for God's mighty intervention in human affairs God's taking a hand either in mercy or in judgment and in this context of suffering and difficulty and anxiety and persecution we are to recognise the mighty hand of God not just in all the joys and successes and blessings of life but also in the tragedies the sorrows and the difficulties that come across our path. Of course, some of those difficulties are not of our own doing. Some of them are of our own doing. Some of them are caused by the sins of others against us. But even here, God is able to make the wrath of man to praise him. Remember Joseph? How God had promised this man a brilliant future of leadership. Where does he find himself? Down at the bottom of a dried out well shaft. I'm sure at that point of time he didn't understand what God was allowing in his life. What had this got to do with the promises of God? Where was the mighty hand of God? Do you know how the story ends? that day comes when he's standing face to face with his brothers and without condoning their sin he's able to recognize the mighty hand of God and he says to them this it was not you who brought me here but God you intended to harm me but God intended it for good what a passage that man had to that triumphant faith locked in his prison cell, interprets the two dreams, says to the grateful men I'm not sure whether one of them was quite so grateful don't forget to tell Pharaoh when you get out about me but they did, forgotten and yet he comes through the Indonesian church uh, with its Dutch reformed background was very fond of teaching from the Catechismus Heidelberg, the Heidelberg Catechism and one translation of questions 26 and 27 says this In God the Father I trust and doubt not but that, that he will care for me and that even all the troubles which he sends to me in this veil of tears, he will turn to my good. This, as Almighty God, he can do. And this, as my faithful Father, he will do. Health and sickness, riches and poverty, are not works of chance but these all come from his fatherly hand you see just because at a particular point of time in our experience of life something comes into our lives that we do not understand should never be allowed to become a basis on which to doubt the goodness of God and his fatherly gift. That's what I mean about a mindset An attitude of heart Because if you know that If that is the fundamental orientation of your life That is the conviction that undergirds your convictions That there are no second causes to God's mighty hand Then as we humble ourselves under that mighty hand As we submit Then like Joseph We are liberated from that bitterness and fretting and anxiety How Joseph could have been angry and bitter and had his revenge against his brothers. How often you see that on the TV, that desire for hatred and revenge. That is not setting apart Christ as Lord in your heart, who when he was reviled, did not revile or retaliate. If we can begin to accept that the difficulties that life throws at us with that recognition that the mighty hand of God is at the same time the loving hand of a caring father so that whatever arrow from whatever source by the time it has been allowed access into my life has become the will of God for me if I can humble myself under that if that can be my attitude of heart then I can begin to cast all my cares on him as I humble myself under his hand you see he's promised never to leave us never to forsake us and Joshua Joseph wasn't left even though he was in the well I always remember a godly minister a missionary who is uh, now in his late 90's Chris Ellison saying to us in Singapore you know if God puts you into a fiery furnace take care that you don't jump out because he's there with you so a right mindset secondly more briefly you'll be glad to know sanctified common sense now what do I mean by sanctified common sense How do you offload anxieties in everyday life? I remember when in Singapore we were in a situation where we had just been given a job to do and it was an important job at least we felt it was and suddenly it looked as if we had to come back to Britain and I can remember the tension and the anxiety what's going to happen with this job? And then the name of a Dr. Peter Patterson who some of you may know as a missioning career, was put forward. And he came and took my place. And a sense of relief. I knew he was competent. I wasn't letting anyone down. My sister is an interesting young lady, not so young, she's older than me, so as you can guess, uh, she's getting on. Saga, let's say, plus, plus. And her cars were Saga, plus, plus. And I think she had a strategy. She joined the RAC and... Uh, She had the get home policy and whenever she came to visit us it always seemed to me as if she broke down and I remember one night she uh, had set off late at night on the M4 back to Devon where she lived and uh, the car broke down and she said it had been the week where some poor woman had been killed uh, on the motorway as she was phoning up for help and Joan was sitting there in her car just wondering what to do when she noticed a few yards further down on the side of the motorway a flashing yellow light and she thought she recognised something and she got out of the car she ran down the motorway and she looked at this man who was standing there and she said are you an RAC man? he said yes dear what can I do for you? well wow, the sense of relief competent able she could entrust her problem to him and he actually drove her all the way back to Devon it's a good ploy actually I'm not advertising for the AA. missionaries of course have to travel on all kinds of uh, planes and boats I remember travelling in an old uh, DC-3 and for some reason instead of it going down through the middle of the island it went out to sea and we said to the stewardess who had no sense of humour whatsoever why is this plane going this way down to South Sulawesi and she said well it's because we go over the water because we know that these planes float (laughs) comfortable feeling one day we were sailing across the Gulf of Tomini which is also up in the Malaccas in Sulawesi from Parigi to Poso, and we were in a tiny diesel engine boat and uh, my travelling companion was terribly nervous at sea he couldn't swim and he didn't like the water and then it started to get windy and of course, Indonesians love to tell you horror stories They sit there telling you how that the week before the pirates, there's still pirates in these waters, the pirates had commandeered one of these boats and all the passengers had just disappeared. You know, and you're sitting there thinking, who's next? And this boat uh, started to rock about when the wind caught up a little bit and uh, there was a fresh breeze. And I was enjoying it, but my friend certainly wasn't. But then at the back of the boat, there was a a, a typical Indonesian uh, sailor. He wore a lace uh, shirts. It wasn't really intended to be a lace shirt, but it's the hallmark of the Kretek cigarette smoker in Indonesia. Kretek cigarettes, Because I shouldn't be telling you this, but uh, if you ever get hold of them you'll find out for yourself. They are mixed up with black Indonesian tobacco with cloves and uh, they give off a lovely smell when they are burning. It's very nostalgic for us when we smell these Kretek and these cloves. But in with the clothes, they put salt saltpetre for some reason or another. It makes it uh, so that every time they drew on their cigarette, they, it would go like a firework. It would sparkle. And consequently, the sparks would settle on his shirt. That's how he got his lace shirt. Anyway, that's by the by. But there is is at the back of this boat, singing and laughing and smiling. And my friend said to me, you know, he's not worried. I guess that makes me feel better. Couldn't Peter have told us an incredible story? I can imagine him here saying, do you know, I was in a storm and it was so appalling that we had no hope and I saw Christ stand up and I saw the mighty hand of God. He stopped the waves and the wind. No wonder that record in Mark 4 says when they found him doing that Terrified. Wouldn't you be? Can you imagine? Who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. He has it all in his hands. He's seen the mighty hand of God firsthand. God says to us, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. I will never leave you, he says elsewhere and I will never forsake you so no matter what we are called to pass through even through the waters of death and make no mistake we all go through those waters we all go through the valley of the shadow of death that was being sung to but when we go we go under the mighty hand of God with his mighty presence at his, at our side so fear him he says and then you will have nothing else to fear and the second way in which common sense would tell us we offload our worries and our anxieties is not just by finding someone who's competent but by finding someone with whom we can really let's say let our hair down that's if you've got any hair to let down I was preaching last week in Mainz of Fintry or the week before in Mainz of Fintry and a tiny little girl looked at me and she said no hair <laughs> The poor father didn't know where to put his face I tell you when you're as old as I am it doesn't matter Great thing is I don't have to use curlers to permit in the morning It's one of the great blessings of uh, being bald And one of the great blessings of a happy marriage of course Is being able isn't it, to pour your heart out to your partner To communicate, to share and to know that you're accepted So much more valuable than any psychiatrist's bench Lord Bacon said the man who has no friend Becomes a cannibal to his own heart all of us need to talk all of us need a listening ear afternoons uh, in Glasgow when we were in the ministry there we used to open the vestry and people would come for advice and counselling I always used to say to them look I'm not one of those trained people but uh, I'll, I'll pray with you and they they would talk and talk and talk and after about an hour there seemed to be a magic moment when suddenly they said that's it and uh, well thank you so much for your advice I thought to myself uh, I don't think I gave you any advice but I did try to listen what is it that the writer to the Hebrews tells us don't be afraid because we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weakness one who's been tested in every way like we are tested and yet he was without sin so let's approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need sometimes we know that here sometimes we're very slow to put it into practice Paul also said don't be anxious about anything Anything. Philippians 4 and verse uh, 6 Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And God will surely answer your prayer. How? Well, he doesn't exactly say how, but what he does say is that the peace of God, which transcends all understandings, will guard your hearts and your minds. How slow we are, are we not? To bring all things to him in prayer. All things, tragedies, successes, our weaknesses, our money problems, our relationship problems. Find someone who is competent. Come and talk it out. And then, as we sometimes glibly say, when all else fails, read the... Try it again When all else goes Read the Instructions We live in a DIY age Don't we You know you buy that stuff From Ikea And there are the instructions You think Well I don't need that (laughs) You sure do The other day I was rebuilding my computer Um, Tried to reinstall software The first problem was To find all the manuals You know I didn't know where I would put them and I could hear my father saying in the background a place for everything and everything in its place When well, he passed away many years ago and so did my ability to do that once I'd found the manuals I realised that I was unfamiliar with what was in the manuals it took me ages to work out what I had to do but it was only as I got to grips with the maker's handbook and applied it that I began to get the computer to work we had the maker's handbook I hope you know where to find it the minister of our church in St. Medo said he went into one house and asked for the Bible and he found that it was under one of the legs of a a bed propping the bed up I hope you know where you find it where it's easily read how well do you know your way about it how good are you at applying it? How instinctively do you apply its principles when you meet a problem? I was thrilled uh, to watch uh, the DJ story on the TV. I'm sure many of us were. And I was most impressed with uh, two good Cockney uh, glider pilots who were asked, you know, you did a fantastic job landing those uh, those gliders. On Pegasus Bridge, you remember they had to stop the, the, the Germans being able to bring their, their resources up from Kong to the coast and these two guys were just so modest and uh, one of them says well you know w- 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 all, all what I've done really is we, we practiced hundreds of times 42 times we flew round back here in England we, we did it again and again and again so he said when it came to the day we just done it again, that was all it was would that we so knew our Bibles that when we had to land on Pegasus Bridge it was instinctive read the instructions the Bible says that Christian life is a race to be run and a fight to be fought no athlete worth their salt is going to be running on the course with a book in their hands trying to find out what to do and it would be a poor soldier who on the battlefield When he's under fire, says, "Just a moment, I need to go down into my rucksack and find out how am I supposed to operate this this this, uh, rifle." Get it? We need to master the book and be mastered by it. There's no easy way to do that. There is no magic way. Never treat the Bible like a chocolate box of juicy verses. That you want to pick out the ones with the soft centers because they suit you we have to get to grips with the whole counsel of God as that good Baptist Spurgeon once said our very blood needs to be bibline cast all your cares and your anxieties On him. Not a hypothetical wish, but a practical answer. And it works. Why? How? Because when you do, you discover that God is at work. Because, says Peter, He Cares for you. And that is precisely how and why it works. Let's close by singing a hymn together.